Today's program was brought to you by Mood Magazine, a new international quarterly publication about music and food. For more information, visit moodmusicfood.com. You are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to After the Jump. I'm your host, Grace Bonney, and today we're coming to you from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. You can listen to the show live every Thursday at 11 a.m. on heritageradionetwork.org or download the podcast on iTunes. Today, my guest is an artist I've been following since the early days of both her and my career. Zoe Pollock is an incredible painter from Canada who is the very first artist I ever invested in, and I believe that is true of my mother as well. <laughs> um, we had never purchased, and neither of us had ever purchased, an original piece of artwork before, and picking out one of Zoe's paintings made me so proud and so happy. The landscape that I purchased from her has moved with me to four different homes now and has never failed to elicit compliments and questions mainly about who did it and where they can buy one from visitors. So in short, I am a massive, massive fan of her work, and it feels like these days, so is everyone else that I know. Uh, Zoe has recently branched out into textiles, and I can't wait to talk about her new rug and textile collection. So let's dive right in. Welcome, Zoe. Thank, Thank you so you. much for being here. Thanks for having Welcome me. Welcome to Bushwick <laughs> <laughs> and to our cabin-like uh, station, which I'm glad reminds you of Canada. <laughs> so let's start way back in the beginning. Where did you grow up? I grew up in a suburb of Vancouver uh, by the ocean. Oh, wow, I didn't know that yeah. you grew up by the ocean. That's yeah. so nice. Um, what was your family like? Um, were they artistic? Did they encourage you to paint or create things when you were younger? Yeah, definitely. Our um, My parents were um, not artists per se, but my dad plays the guitar. And they always encouraged us to do really whatever we wanted. And they're very liberal-minded and encouraged us in every direction. Yeah, That's so great. What were your sort of earliest ambitions? Do you remember what you wanted to be when you were little? And did it involve art? Or was it something totally different? I used to play pretty serious fast pitch, actually. (gasps) So my earliest ambitions were to um, play on Team Canada. And (laughs) (laughs) so pretty different. Yeah. That's so great. So when did you first start to discover painting or just art in general as something you thought you might want to pursue more seriously? Yeah, when I um, played softball um, pretty seriously at around 15 years old, I broke my leg. And um, that really started to shape my adolescence and uh, shifted my interests. And so um, what followed was um, a trip down to South America. And I lived with my uncle, who's Canadian, was married to a Chilean woman. And she was an artist. And that was an early influence for me, for sure. Oh, wow. So how did that influence your work? That's so interesting. Were you painting there? Were you learning anything? Or was it mostly just being around her in that environment? It was um, two things. One was that um, I first set out my mind to go to South America at all. um, And achieving that really, um, you know, shaped me. And secondly, being around her and seeing um, the work that she was making, um, it was very powerful. I was not, in fact, studying art down there I was uh in an all-girls private catholic school (gasps) in Spanish full immersion (laughs) so it was full-on that's so cool that's interesting it's funny because I feel like I'm so curious to kind of look back at that at your work now through that lens and try to see if that (laughs) color palette like was informed at all by that trip there I feel like that 
particular part of the world is so intensely popular right now. I feel like everyone I know has been taking trips to Peru or Chile or Argentina. And I feel like it's so interesting to see how that particular color palette of South America and the works that are produced there seem to be seeping into contemporary work that I see, especially like people making prints on Etsy. I feel like that sort of look and feel is starting to inform things a lot right now. Yeah, definitely. I think it has a lot to do with the light, right? The light Mm -hmm. there is so different from, say, for me in Canada, the light is very cool and blue. And uh, down there, it definitely casts radical shadows and and influences things and things have more shape and contrast. So for sure. So you studied painting in college. Mm -hmm, Yes. And what was that experience like for you? And when you were there, do you feel like your style sort of came into what it is now? Or was it very different than it is? Um, I went to two great universities. I split my time between uh, Montreal and NASCAD, uh, which is in Halifax. And that was such a great time in my life. I worked extremely hard and um, I also had to waitress full time to to support that. And it was such a great, fun time in my life. Um, my work there was very varied. I feel like um, I never fully fit in because I, I, I couldn't really gra- wrap my head around making this so-called mature body of work mm-hmm. that the school and your professors were sort of pushing you towards. And so I always felt that things were somewhat chaotic and thematically, and even in terms of the materials I was using, I, I never felt very secure in one making one kind of type of art. So, yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah, I feel like the thing I hear most often from people who went to school specifically for design or for art is that people are really pushing you towards something that's like very mature and very cohesive. And I always wonder, like, is that the most sort of efficient or effective way to try to train someone to be a professional artist? I feel like just hearing that you were working full time while you were in school is probably the best training (laughs) you could have gotten for how difficult it, it can be to be like a, a full-time working artist and that you usually have to have some sort of side job at least for a while. Yeah, I definitely think uh, it's my suspicion that that pressure comes from uh, wh- what they are releasing the students into, which would mm. be um, historically the gallery system, Yeah, right? And so now we're seeing young students, when I speak at universities, I present to them different ways that they could possibly sell their art and it's fascinating to see how um, much that is in contrast with the way that they're being sort of persuaded in school. Let's talk about that a little bit. I was going to ask you about that later in the show but I'm sort of dying to talk to any contemporary artist right now about how their particular field of of art has changed over the last like decade because for me the the sort of world you're entering as an artist after school seems so different than it would have been 10, 15, 20 years ago. How do you think sort of the art world has changed um, from when you graduated to how it functions right now? Well, the internet has completely changed all of our lives in so many ways. And um, now we have we have uh, access to any type of market. So if you make bizarre sculptures and you want to try and sell them in Japan, you absolutely have access and permission to do that. It's an incredible thing. This is brand new, right? And so it's reshaping the way that we have um, sort of access to various markets. I think that's the first thing for sure. Do you think that the gallery system is as important or as crucial or is it sort of become like a more level playing field with whether or not that's something you have to do to be a successful working artist? That system is incredibly important and will exist for as long as I could foresee. Um, I just like to introduce young people to the possibility that there's other ways to sell mm-hmm. your work. 
I think that's really important. And and um, also that you can work in, in conjunction with a gallery and uh, use various other means. Mm-hmm. And what are what are some other avenues that you think are, are options right now? I know you've done, you do a lot of commissioned work, which is mm-hmm. so fantastic. And I feel like that's such a, like a holy grail of the way things can be set up for most uh, painters in particular. But you've also done work with interior designers. Talk a little bit about sort of those avenues as ways that artists can go. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I had my children early out of school. And so there was sort of a necessity there to want to create a living out of making art and I just had this suspicion or this feeling or this intuition that it was possible to create work for interior designers which which seemed to me to be a guaranteed sale they have an empty spot and a perceived need and I could fill it so I uh, went with that and was very encouraged by the first commission I got was from being featured on your blog and it was through um Chloe of, of Redmond Aldrich um, Design, and she got me a huge commission down in San Francisco, and that really opened my eyes to what was possible, and mm-hmm. that um, that was that, that was something that interior designers were after. I think that's so. How do you think that the internet is affecting sort of trends in the art world um, as opposed to before? I feel like for me, things are spreading so quickly, and I think it's so interesting to see how. For example, if you get written about and then suddenly people are sort of looking at the way that you paint, how that sort of informs things so quickly and you have people start to make things that are very similar. And I feel like when I wrote about you, I felt like maybe six months later, I saw an awful lot of very similar (laughs) things popping up on Etsy. And I don't mean to open a discussion about like copying and things like that. I just mean that I feel like the way things move feels so much faster than it used to be. Do you feel that at all? Definitely. And I think that for me, it's always been that I'm not a fear-based person. So my philosophy is not to um, feel fear around that or be afraid that someone could copy because they absolutely can. And they can also steal my purse and they could also, you know, <laughs> you know, there's all sorts of things that can happen to you in your life that um, people absolutely have the capacity to be bad. And um, you have to... Um, keep your integrity in your work. It also has um, kept me on my toes. You know, you have to keep things fresh because people are looking at you and looking to you to be a trendsetter and sort of um, innovating. So I've definitely had to sit down with myself at times and uh, work myself out of work that, that I had been doing for a long, mm. too long and really get serious about that. So it's it's been encouraging to me. But that said, I'm an optimist. So <laughs> That's fascinating. I mean, and maybe that's because you're an optimist, but that's an attitude I think is so helpful for most fine artists to have, but can be incredibly difficult to cultivate mm. because it can be difficult when you see things that are similar to your work or and it kind of pushes you to need to do something different. And I think it's easy for someone like me to say like, well, clearly it just means you have to keep doing something different. But for <laughs> you to actually really feel that and sort of have that kind of drive, I think is so good for your career um let's talk about challenges a little bit more what do you think is the most challenging part of your job well being a mom and (laughs) (laughs) that's that's inevitable that that has been a challenge because you can't be two places at once you're either here or you're there and so I've had to um and even when I've been present with my children I have had to get really real with myself to be truly present, you know, Mm -hmm. turn off your phone and and really be there. So that's been a challenge. Um, I feel also that, you know, you have to use a lot of uh, male energy almost to to get to this sort of so-called success. Mm -hmm. And uh, that can be incredibly tiring. Women are interested in collaboration, connection. Um, I want to see my peers do as well as 
as I do. And um, so I've had to redefine what success has meant for me and my little family and really taken a good hard look at that. That's so, I'm like blowing my mind <laughs> with very helpful <laughs> advice. So I, I think it's so fascinating. I think that, I mean, for someone who's a relatively young artist, you have some very good insights and sort of already inherent ideas about what success means for you. I think a lot of people who are fine artists, it's so easy to get caught up in that, especially if you're on the internet like what success means, how much mm. press you need, what sort of thing you need to be, where your work needs to be sold. And it's so great that you're kind of already a step ahead by deciding this is what success means for me. I'm going to find it in my own way and I'm not going to be sort of led by fear, which it's so easy to, I think, kind of follow fear and let that determine where you go and what you do with your career. Mm -hmm. I think in many ways, like your career, you're we're pioneering still. We're doing a completely different there wasn't, there hasn't been a long history of bloggers that you can look to to <laughs> sort of see how this thing, this whole fandango is going to go down, mm -hmm. right? So we really have to um, take a lot of time for introspection um, before moving forward. I think that's like been the biggest learning experience for me in the last five years for sure. Yeah. How have you seen art buyers change in the last few years? For me, I feel like the types of questions I get about fine art in particular, about what people are buying or what they're looking to buy. I feel like the consumer has changed dramatically and I don't know if that's because they see more options online or they're reading more about the artists behind the work, but have you felt a change at all in the people who were buying your work maybe five or six years ago versus the people who are buying it today or do you feel like it stayed pretty consistent? I feel like there's been um, obviously tons of exposure through the internet, of course. They're much more savvy consumers. Uh, that said, I feel like the systems that have provided affordable quote-unquote art such as Uprise or Buy Some Damn Art, things like that have actually created new buyers, which is exciting, super exciting. I have had countless experiences of being someone's first time mm -hmm. and um, their, my piece being the first piece they ever invested in. And it's such an exciting thing because you know they're only going to keep collecting and it's yeah. going to just get better. What does that feel like to have? I mean, like, I'd love to hear you elaborate more on that. What that feels like to have you be the first person or the first object that anyone has really invested time and money in? Because that, I mean, I think for a lot of blog readers who are typically buying things that are like 25 or $50, for me, that seems to be like the common price point about which no one will complain. But when you're asking someone to spend hundreds or even thousands of dollars, what does that feel like to have somebody actually put their hard-earned money into work that you've made? Mm -hmm. um, recently, I've I've been sort of asked if I would do prints, you know, and my response to that has been to make drawings. Mm -hmm. And so you have to um, change. And I still wanted to access that consumer, um, what, though my painting prices have um, gone up considerably in the last five years. So I had excluded this sort of consumer. And um, my response to that was drawing. That said, it's um, I've had people in my experience in my studio, you know, move to tears and putting things on payment plans and uh, investing in things or um, getting people to group buy stuff for their wedding. And it's been it's just been so moving to be a part of that first time for them. I think that's so great. I think it's wonderful to see how. I feel like 10 years ago, trying to talk about handmade or work that was like sort of small scale or done by like just one person in one studio, you couldn't find any of that anywhere online or in print. And I feel like these days, people who maybe would have never known about a particular artist or never even invested in a painting are now doing things like what you just described. And I feel like to watch the evolution of the buyer from people not knowing about art to suddenly like really saving up for that instead of let's say like a trip or something. Yeah. I feel like I hear about that more and more. And I feel like if I was an artist, that would be just the 
the biggest compliment you could ever get. It is. There's certain collections that I've gotten to be a part of. Um, for example, friends of ours run this um, blog called Artsy Dartsy in Vancouver, and they invested in one of my pieces early on. And when I went to deliver it, it went to live in this phenomenal collection. And, you know, she said to me, people say, how can you afford art? And she said, we don't go out for dinner. We save our money, and this is what we invest in. And it was so moving to me that she would put aside that money for me that meant so much to me at that time. And mm -hmm. so I've had experiences like that where, yeah, you have to put your money where you, your beliefs are, right? So, yeah, I think yeah. that's such a great way to phrase it. I feel like more and more I hear from people who are choosing to do things like that, like skip morning coffees for a month or skip going out or skip small trips or things that would have been normal indulgences in order to invest in, whether it's ceramics or artwork or whatever it is, but things that are handmade and things that take time and effort. And I feel like part of that is people get to know artists these days more than they used to before. And uh, do you have that hunch as well? Yeah, I feel also um, it's important as a young artist or anyone who's trying to get their work out there that you make your brand, make it known that you're accessible. So it's known through my Twitter and my Instagram that I'm an accessible person, that that invitation exists, right? And so it makes it easier for people to reach out to you and um, be open to kind of coming by your studio mm -hmm. or because it had his, it has historically been this sort of separate thing from, you know, real life. And even now when people come in my studio, they, they the first sometimes the first thing they say is you know I don't know anything about art but I just I'm so excited to be here or moved or whatever and we sort of open up that conversation yeah that's so wonderful well, I want to talk about how some of those conversations have led to collaborations and new collections you're doing but we're going to take a very quick break and then we'll be right back with Zoe Pollock what's mood mood is a quarterly magazine about music and food for its creators, not many things can beat a good record and a delicious meal. Maybe a well-written story or a gorgeous photo. Well, that's all in Mood. The magazine looks at music and food in a cohesive and unique way, with a keen eye to design and high-quality writing. Its contributors are located around the globe, and the stories span accordingly. Check it out today at moodmusicfood.com. That's Mood Music Food. Com. Hey, welcome back to After the Jump. Today I'm speaking with Canadian painter Zoe Pollock, who's in town, and I want to talk a little bit about some of the newest collections you've done. You've got a brand new rug line coming out, but first I want to talk about the collaborative textile collection you did with Nicole Bridger. Let's talk about how that came about and where where that's leading. Yeah, that will be released in the summer, spring summer of 2014. And Nicole asked if we could use some of my paintings and drawings and uh, translate them to textiles. And uh, it's been a great, great ride. And it's been fun. I'm excited for everyone to actually be able to see them mm -hmm. soon. Yeah. What's that like to see your work in a completely different medium? You know, technology has really um, been what's been able to make a few of the things that I've done this last year possible. Nicole said to me um, that even a few years uh, previous, we couldn't take this digital uh, mm -hmm. printing and put it right on silk so quickly, right, in order to come up with this collection. So uh, technology has really influenced that. And it's been fun. It's exciting. It's kind of, you know, you feel uh, like you got to own it, right? Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, it's quite a beautiful um, product. So it's exciting. That's so great. Does it make you want to do more textiles or mm -hmm. think about applying things to surfaces? 
Definitely. Definitely. Hundred hundred percent. It's gonna it's like gonna be addictive, I feel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it's such a nice and it's sort of cost effective way for fine artists to sort of expose their work to different groups of people. And I think it's it's something you saw a lot, I felt like with mid century designers where people were throwing patterns on everything and not just textiles, but then it went into wallpaper and then it went into trays and things that were tabletop and that sort of extension I think is such a natural way to sort of take your work and apply it to or give it to people who maybe couldn't afford the original fine art but can find this little different version of it. I think that's a great expansion idea. Yeah, and my business is really based a lot around stories. So if people, mm-hmm. more people are wearing it, talking about it at dinner parties, and there's a sort of um, flow and natural connection into starting to collect or the original work, it's going to be, it's been so exciting so far. Yeah. Yeah. Well, your work, especially the landscape pieces in particular, are such a natural progression into rugs. So tell me about the rug collection you have coming because I think that's that's such a beautiful and natural progression into that because they're like these huge pieces of artwork and rugs are just the same thing but on the floor yeah it's been such an exciting collaboration that's definitely been the best thing that I've done this year um I'm collaborating with the Burt brothers and they've been in business for over 100 years and so to work with a company first and foremost that has such integrity and um such a fun like approach to everything they're just yes people you know and so when I when we started to talk about it they just said yes let's do it let's go for it and they're not afraid of sort of political content or anything Mm -hmm. they're just completely unafraid and excited about the um, collection and getting it into people's homes we have a lot of the same consumers and so Mm -hmm. it's going to be exciting and then also a lot of my collectors are just hungry for more but their walls are all filled up so they're (laughs) they're pumped (laughs) (laughs) I want to talk more about this collection because it's it's five different rugs based off of one painting right Mm, yeah how did that concept come about versus like just turning all of your paintings into rugs it's easier to narrow things down sometimes mm-hmm. to work within a sort of um, restricted kind of way is I find you can actually have a possibility for more creativity. So we wanted to take this um, one painting over oceans and we've translated it into sort of five various ways. Uh, one of which, for example, is um, taking a piece of it and overlapping it and mirroring it onto itself and then erasing part of it. So yeah. it's all derived from this one. So yeah. that, I thought that was a good departure point for a collection. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on the idea of artwork being used for different mediums, sort of licensing versus this sort of interesting adaptation version? Are you opening? Are you open to the idea of, of like licensing your work for that purpose? Or do you sort of prefer these smaller scale collaborative projects? Yeah, definitely. Of course, the the connection to people has always been the most important thing in my business, both the cli- the connection to the client and whoever I'm collaborating with. So that is imperative to the process for me and um, something I would I couldn't foresee myself doing without, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and let's also talk about Big House LA, which I feel like if it's, which involves Emily Henderson. Yeah. Yes. Which I think everybody loves Emily. Yeah. Um, let's talk about how that came about and explain it for people who haven't heard about it yet. Okay. So the Fig House is a brand new event venue space in LA and um, there it is designed by Emily Henderson and the space will host sort of 10 artists, uh, nine LA artists, I believe, and myself. And um, the work is already hung and the space is going to be opening soon. 
That's so exciting. Yeah. Um, I love that. I feel like Emily's got such a great sort of her finger on the pulse of what's happening right now. So I feel like she yeah. was smart to pull in the sole Canadian into her group of <laughs> California artists. Well, it was curated by the Jealous Curator. Yeah. And she just um, really pushed to have my work in there. So it was a real blessing That's for sure. Great. And yep. it's funny. It's like, I feel like a lot of your color palettes are so sunny and so happy. And mm-hmm. so they fit right in with that sort of yeah. California aesthetic that maybe I wouldn't expect from a Canadian. Definitely. And it's, it's definitely been a market that I want to get into so badly mm-hmm. for that very reason you know yeah. a lot of um, people in Vancouver are a little bit afraid of color and really? so yeah a little bit you know and um and, and more, maybe more safe than say mm-hmm. where you would see uh, LA LA collectors yeah and um just simply because of the sunshine and the California kind of you know radical yeah. That's an interesting distinction. I never thought about buyers in that particular pattern. And maybe you're seeing people make more adventurous choices in terms of color in different parts of the country. Absolutely. Because, for example, in L.A., they would have been influenced by all of all the work that you see or you go to the the LACMA or the, the, you know, the sort of American expressionists or those kinds of collections. They permeate into your subconscious. Right. And um, so L.A. definitely has that um, kind of buyer. Yeah, that's cool. Has an appetite. So what inspires you right now? It can be people, places, movements. I'm really inspired by hip hop and mm. the... Col- I did not see that coming. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got leopard print shoes on. You know? <laughs> it's all full of surprises. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I'm excited about that because I feel like that, um, you know, music has given access to a whole um, demographic of people too and really invited everyone in and the it's based on collaboration now and I feel like that's essential for the future of sort of good art making. That's so cool. Is this Canadian hip-hop, American hip-hop? Is there We've got a range. No, <laughs> I mean, it's all, we're, we're obviously proud of our Canadians, of course. Mm-hmm. It's awesome to see Canadians do well. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about the ups and downs of being a painter. Um, let's start with the ups. What is your absolute favorite part of your job? My favorite part of my job used to be going into my studio and putting on my music and being quiet mm-hmm. and con- contemplating, which I want to get back to a lot more. Um, my favorite part now is people, is the re- relationship that I have with my clients and how it um, draws me into these connections and travel and um, it's it's been the most exciting part yeah That's, and what's the toughest part the toughest part about being a painter specifically is that painting is incredibly difficult <laughs> that's why no one does like very few people very actually true. do it super well I've only actually made like you know a handful of incredibly good paintings in my life you know it's I say that because it's true you know it's it's like it's hard to make a like a damn good painting you know one that you look at and you could say wow like I could look at that forever you know I know that that each individual piece has meant a lot to that particular Mm -hmm. client and I've done my best on their behalf but I know in my heart like it's a it's a long road it's a lone it can be a lonely road so what for you designates like that great painting versus one that's just good is it something that happens in a gut level or are you looking for specific technical details definitely a gut level um you have to be a strong drawer I mean I studied drawing I studied Mm -hmm. the drawing the nude for seven years before um I you know sort of ventured into um painting more seriously and uh, a lot of artists go into painting without having a strong comprehension Mm -hmm. or ability for drawing and that makes for some some poor paintings (laughs) yeah it's you have to have the structure and the you know 
uh, like understanding before mm -hmm. delving into painting? That's, I've always kind of really strongly believed that you kind of have to know all the rules before you can break them. Absolutely. And I think that really informs like having that backbone, even if you choose to not use it in the way that like you were told to use it in art school, still definitely informs everything that you do. And I feel like you see that difference when it comes to composition or the strength of someone's line. And mm -hmm. like, yeah. You can usually see art school in there. Yeah. And or like <laughs> someone like, I, this is so cliche, but Picasso's high realism that he was able to do when he was a young boy. And then he was, he had absolute permission to then deconstruct it well, right? Because he already had that full breadth of understanding and mm -hmm. comprehension of, you know, realism. I like before that you were talking about sort of the, the gut level um, reaction you have to something that, that's good or something that's great for you. What do you hope that people take away from your work, whether they're people who have commissioned paintings or are just looking at your work? What do you hope they feel when they're looking at your paintings? Well, for um, the landscapes, I feel that people's response has been that it provides a place of rest and relaxation, that they're able to imagine themselves into that la landscape sort of setting and that the colors are soothing. And I think providing um, respite in that sense of this outside of this busy life um, is just a blessing and, and a gift that um, I, I feel people get from my work. When it comes to the figurative work, I feel... Um, you know, I feel that the work is successful when it addresses something that's incredibly personal to me, yet addresses sort of a universal theme. I, th I see that as being um, the, the most successful that the figurative work can be. But that work is inevitably much more narrative. Mm -hmm. Well, we're just about out of time. So I want to ask you one last question. Um, I know that you're working with Uprise here in New York. Um, tell people what that is and that's going to be launching soon. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, my work will be coming out with Uprise on the 30th. And um, I just feel incredibly excited about working with these guys. They just uh, took my work to the Affordable Art Fair and sold it out and are just asking for tons more. And um, they have a really clear um, connection to their consumer and just a willingness to inform people and make artwork accessible to everyone. And I'm also just feel so fortunate to be in the company of the other artists that they um, showcase because it's incredible stuff. That's so great. And for anybody listening, um, what's coming up that's new for you? What should they be keeping their eyes peeled for? Um, I'm going to make um, some new work in the next little while, probably a figurative series in the next uh, in the coming new year. That's great. Yeah. Um, well, Zoe, thanks so much for stopping by. I know you have a whirlwind, whirlwind New York trip, so I really appreciate you taking time out to speak of with course. me. And uh, for anyone listening, you can check out Zoe online at zoepollock.com. That's P-A-W-L-A-K. Thanks so much for being here, Zoe. Thank and you. we'll see you guys next Thursday. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.